0: Welcome to the Fit Pro podcast. I am Jane Waller, and today I am with Sarah Russell, fellow fitness professional and author. Welcome, Sarah, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Hi, Jane. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to be here.
0: I'm sure we're in for a very interesting conversation. We're talking to Sarah today about her journey and how this has motivated her to address challenges that she faced, a situation that other fitness professionals are increasingly likely to come across with their clients. So Sarah, before we get started though, could you give our listeners a little bit more information about your fitness background and also what has happened to you and why you decided to do something about it? Sure. So um,
1: I guess I feel like I could have kind of been in the fitness industry forever. Um, I'm a bit of a a a dinosaur. Um, I did my first degree in sport and exercise science back in sort of the early 90s. Uh, Followed up with a a master's in sport and exercise science, which I sort of specialised in cardiac rehab. So I've always had a sort of special interest in more clinical populations. Um, I've worked, you know, as a running coach, teaching Pilates, just the general kind of one-to-one work with clients for many, many years. Um, I was an athlete myself. I did triathlon, competed in sort of um, age group duathlon and ran marathons, you know, regular at my running club, etc., etc. So, you know, I was pretty fit, pretty competitive. Um, and, you know, my life is ex- was, was exercise and still is. Um, then in 2010, I was kind of rushed into hospital in the middle of the night with this really weird abdominal pain. Um, no one really knew what it was. Um, they decided to do emergency surgery. And... I woke up basically um, with a colostomy bag attached to my stomach. So my colon had perforated um, due to a really sort of rare uh, condition called diverticular disease, which for somebody who at the time was 37 with a couple of small children, it was really, really random and really rare. Anyway, the the point was I then sort of went through this sort of major abdominal surgery. It was was sort of quite life-threatening. I had peritonitis. Um, And then suddenly I've gone from being, I think I'd done a a half Ironman triathlon about six days beforehand, not related, I might add. Um, And then six days later, there I am in, you know, in high dependency unit in hospital with a stoma bag. So it was sort of like almost having a car crash, really. It was quite Mm -hmm. sort of a, a bizarre situation because I'd never even, I didn't even know a client or know anyone that had had this kind of procedure or had this kind of surgery. So it was really sort of shocking. Um, loads of complications followed, which meant that I ultimately had five major abdominal surgeries over the period of about 18 months. Um, and it was a really low point. At one point, I thought I was never going to be able to eat solid food ever again. I was existing on, on sort of liquids um, and special sort of um, medical prescription diet. Couldn't eat. It was, it was pretty miserable. Um, and eventually, I got some sort of some good surgery, got back on my feet and started to get back into my running and sort of got back into my career. And that was probably around sort of 2012 by the time that sort of started to happen. But it taught me a lot. And when I was going through all of that, um, because of my fitness background, I was expecting someone to come along with uh, some ideas and some exercises, and this is what you can do, this is what's safe, this is you know, what, what's appropriate for abdominal muscles. And nobody really knew Um, So I sort of left very much a sort of flounder and I felt, you know, there I was, I've got a master's degree, I've got 20 years experience in the industry and I still felt vulnerable and and really lost. So it made me think, God, if I feel like that, how do other people who haven't got that wealth of experience feel? So I used the experience to sort of turn it around and to start to do research and to start to educate healthcare professionals and other fitness professionals and also patients around what they can do. And it's kind of gone from there, really.
0: That is an amazing story. And, I mean, you're a credit to the industry. You really are. Because I know that you have gone on and done some fantastic thing and helped a lot of professionals. So thank you for that. I wish you hadn't had that journey. But, you know, they say things happen for a reason. Yeah. So that is amazing. Um, I know you referred to um, that. I mean, I can't even imagine you go in for surgery and you wake up and you have a colostomy bag. But... Um, I've also, when we've talked before, you've referred to a stoma bag. Um, Now, colostomy bag is a a term I have heard a lot through the years. Stoma bag, not so much. So are they the same thing or are they two completely different things?
1: It's it's pretty much the same thing. Um, The general kind of umbrella term is a colostomy or a colostomy bag. And that's generally how it's referred to in the media. Um it's generally how it's referred to um, sort of in society, that's what people sort of understand um, in that basically what that means is part of your 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 bowel, your intestine is brought through the abdominal wall um, and you basically stick a bag on it to collect the waste that comes out of it. So instead of going to the toilet normally, your waste just sort of drains out of a hole in your abdominal wall. And it sounds unbelievably weird. <laughs> and it kind of is. Yeah. But um, you know, credit to the person who ever thought of doing it because it's saved so many lives and improved quality of life for so many other people. Um, you know, it, it's an incredible procedure. Um, and I, I think we should not be as scared of it as, as a mm. lot of people are, actually. Um, I find it quite curious now. It's quite an interesting process. Um, but to your question, so the overall term is colostomy bag. And that's interchanged with having a colostomy or having a stoma. Now, a stoma, if you want the actual kind of medical kind of terminology, is an artificial opening on the body. So that would be the same if somebody had a tracheostomy in their on their throat. Um, And it's the same as just creating an an artificial opening on the abdominal wall for usually the bowel, sometimes the bladder to drain. Um, Where there's been damage to the bowel or the bladder or they've needed to be removed for some reason, often through cancer or colitis or Crohn's disease um, and so that artificial opening is now on your stomach instead and that's where your waste drains out. So the bags are just called different things. So um, you know, to get into sort of a bit more technical terms there are three types of bag. You have an ileostomy, a urostomy and a colostomy. And they're all just slightly different. So the urostomy is for urine. So if someone has their bladder removed, for example, they would need to wear, um, have a urostomy bag. The ileostomy is where you have the bowel um, at the very end of the small bowel. And the colostomy is where the bowel is brought out through somewhere around the colon. So in the large intestine and the two really aren't, very, aren't that much different Um, aside from the fact people with ileostomies are prone to dehydration because um, it's almost like having sort of a a, having diarrhea really all the time so that's kind of the waste the type of waste that would come out of the bag so anyway it's kind of weird talking about you (laughs) all the time but you know I I talk to nurses all the time about it and it's kind of just trips off my tongue now so um, and I do think it's really important to kind of break down the stigma and we need to talk about it more openly and not to, be, not to be scared of it, because that's where a lot of people are fearful.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I, was, I was actually just about to say that there certainly was a stigma attached to it, but I think, you know, that, that is um, certainly reducing, in fact, very recently, um, you know, we saw on the, the Circle, the, the, the ITV show. Um, there was a girl on there that um, had had a stoma bag and there was a lot of conversation on the show about it. Um, and it was actually quite enlightening. And, you know, there was that, that sort of information being shared publicly like that, making it realise it's, you know, it doesn't hold people back. They, you know, they can do wonderful things. And I know that, you know, you're going to talk about that. Um, has definitely, I think, reduced the stigma, which is fantastic, yeah. you know. it's. And I think that's, that's so, on with their lives.
1: Yeah, it's so important for everyone in society Really, I mean, I have friends now that say to me, gosh, if I ha- ever had to go through it, I wouldn't be scared because I can mm-hmm. see what you've gone through and yeah. ha- what the type of life you lead and how it doesn't stop you doing anything. And that, you know, that's fantastic that people can use yeah. my experience to, yeah. to reduce their fear and, and to reduce that stigma that surrounds it. So, yeah.
0: yeah. No, most certainly inspiration. Um, so uh, w- what about the actual fitness professional? So if a, if a PT uh, was approached by a client um, that, you know, maybe has had recently had surgery or had surgery some time ago, I imagine there are a number of things they need to consider. I mean, do they just turn around and say, no, sorry, I, you know, I'm not qualified to to teach you on my level three PT certificate? Or are, or are there there are there just considerations that they need to take into um, their thought process in their, their programming sequences that actually can still help this client?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a fantastic question. Something I'm incredibly um, passionate about and one of the things I really want to try and support people and educate you know fit pros but also medical professionals Mm -hmm. and what typically happens I've I've done a lot of work now in the the kind of medical world I've trained uh, around 350 nurses in the UK around how to have a conversation with their patients about exercise and about rehabilitation of the abdominal wall post-surgery so that is starting to sort of change a little bit historically people were told to rest not to do abdominal exercises certainly never to do sit-ups and not to lift things again and that's incredibly disabling advice Mm. and you know if if you're the person receiving that advice and you're maybe you you, you've been involved in sport how depressing is that to, to get that advice I mean you just feel incredibly disabled Um I was really lucky in that my nurse at the time just basically said figure it out for yourself and get on with it so mm-hmm. I was back running jog walking within about two or three weeks of my wow. surgery and I raced a 10k about eight weeks after after my surgery not particularly fast but I got out there and, and did yeah. it so, you know i I'm I'm back to sort of um, fitness now, and I, I've run 32 marathons, and 22 of them have been since I had my stoma. Okay. But when I first came home from hospital, I remember Googling and said, what can you do? And you've got a, a bag, you know, thinking, am I going to need to join the, you know, the Paralympic team or something? Is this, <laughs> is this the end of life as I know it? And uh, I found a guy called Rob Hill, who had recently climbed Mount Everest, and he has a, a bag. So I thought, well, if you can climb Mount Everest, is probably one of the hardest things in the world to yeah. do. You can pretty much do anything. I'm sure I can go for a run. <laughs> so yeah. um, that was sort of really all I needed to know. So certainly my message to nurses now and my message to clinicians and doctors and also to fit pros is that nothing is off limits. Um, you know, People with colostomies, ileostomies, stoma bags, whatever you want to call it, Um, They can weightlift, they can do um, bodybuilding, they can run marathons, they can climb mountains, they can do triathlons, they can do whatever they like. There should never be any limitations. Um, That said, there are some modifications and considerations. So if you're a fit pro listening to this and you have a client and they come to you and they say, "I've I've got a stoma or a colostomy or however they describe it to you, how can you help me? Um, the first thing to really think about is whether they've really rehabilitated their abdominal wall and their core muscles. And if they are relatively sort of recently post-surgery, then I would want to see them doing some kind of transverse activation, some very sort of modified Pilates, knee rolls, um, you know, leg slides, just kind of starting to activate those really deep core muscles. Pelvic floor work and lots of breathing work to get the core working in synergy. Um, And if you're not sure how to do that, then just sort of treat them like a postnatal client. So you know, if you're picking up somebody six weeks postnatally, most fit pros now know how to how to train somebody Mm -hmm. postnatally. Treat them in exactly the same way. Um, You know, work with the breath, work with that deep those deep core muscles and the pelvic floor, and don't be scared. Of the stoma or the bag because um you know people can do anything they can lie on their front that's not a problem um but they certainly need to go through that reactivation phase and reconnecting with those deep abdominals before they progress to anything else um so yeah, those sorts of exercises would be ideal. So certainly things like sit-ups and planks, you know, they're not starting point exercises. And mm-hmm. um, we do this really, this this kind of game on the, on the training course that I do with nurses. And I say, right, I want you to Google core exercises and they bring it up on their phones and they've got things like, you know, full-on planks, they've got yeah. straight leg lifts, they've got V-sits, all sorts of the things that we're familiar with in the fitness world, but that are entirely inappropriate for someone who's yeah. obviously just had abdominal surgery. Common sense, really, Um, but just regress it right back to those kind of really basic things that people think are often quite lame, but it's important to reconnect. And then when that person feels strong and they look stable and they can do all those exercises without any problems at all, then you can start to progress them and just inch away at it. Um, But the core is a priority, really. Um, And the second consideration is the sort of concept around intra-abdominal pressure, particularly when they're lifting. So to avoid a sort of Valsalva maneuver and avoiding anything where they might be breath holding, um, which increases pressure. And the reason that's important is because when you have uh, a hole in your abdominal wall and the bowel is brought through, you are at risk of something uh, uh, something called a, a parastomal hernia. So you can develop a hernia around the stoma. And it's thought that something like 70%, percent seven zero percent of people with a stoma will develop a hernia of some sort. So the way I talk about it now is that we, I don't think we can actually prevent them. I think there's lots of reasons why people get them. But I think certainly one of the ways to modify a risk factor is to get the abdominal wall strong through yeah. correct exercises but also to manage the intra-abdominal pressure so that they're using the breath correctly. So breathing out on exertion, breathing out on any lifting, modifying any movements where they feel any kind of bulging or they don't feel in control um, and just, you know, only lifting weights that they are strong enough to lift. Mm -hmm. So if the core needs to be strong enough to lift the, the, the appropriate weight, if that makes sense. Yeah um so it's really around you know go back to basics with the core managing intra-abdominal pressure um and working with the breath and avoiding the Valsalva maneuver and those are the, the, sort of the key things we really need to think about certainly at the beginning but don't be certainly don't be scared of clients with with um with colostomies and stoma bags yeah. because they need as much support and help as they can so encourage them to be as active as possible and you know, I often say to people, there's so many amazing benefits of being active and enjoying physical activity for our mental well-being, so many of the physical reasons. And really, if you're limited because of your bag, then you're missing out on all of that. So, you know, particularly for the the clients who may be a bit more inactive or struggling
0: to get active, um, they certainly need lots and lots of help and support. Yeah, completely understand that. Great advice. Um, So, okay, so now we know that really there's nothing to hold you back, but, but are there some things, I mean, you've, you've mentioned that obviously going straight into a plank is probably not advisable, but are, are there things that um, are limitations that would not be appropriate or that the PT would need to consider?
1: Ultimately, no. Um, right. I, I used to say to people not to plank, um, but I've recently gone through a sort of advanced modified Pilates training program with APPI and mm-hmm. What I found is I've managed to modify my starting position so I can actually get into a plank and feel strong there. Okay. And that's really surprised me. So I've kind of put that... To, there's no research. That's the trouble. You yeah. know, there's very little research in this area. Um, but I'd also say it's probably taken about six years to yeah. get to the point where I feel strong enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's also with a lot of modification and a lot of really deep core work, you know, daily core work. Um, to get strong enough um, so ultimately there's nothing that's off limits people go deep sea diving um, there's a there's a fantastic um, uh, Facebook group called Ostomy Lifestyle Athletes and in there they have people who all around the world people doing Ironman people you know yeah. not just right. participating but but you know performing at a high level yeah. there's a, a chap yeah. in America um, called <clears throat> Colin Jarvis, and he's just run a two twenty seven marathon, um, and he has a he has a, a stoma, and yeah. you know it just shows you can you really can do anything. There's a there's a, a British girl who won the World Triathlon Championships in her age group, and she has a stoma. It's so there's some amazing people out there, yeah. and actually, you 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 would glance at someone, you wouldn't even know they had yeah. one. So I've said I've had people say to me, you know. I go swimming and I'll have people say to me, but where's the bag? Because actually even in a swimsuit stood next to me, you wouldn't be able to see it. know. amazing. And so that's, what's kind of cool about it really. You can just, you know, go and go and still live a very normal life and not, not worry about it. But um, there definitely needs to be a lot more education out there though for fit pros to give them
0: confidence that they can Mm -hmm. work with, with clients. Well, that actually would have been my very next question is like, where do they go? And what what do they need? To, I mean, is having a you know a level three PT or a, a, you know equivalent qualifications enough, as long as they um, are taking on the advice that you know you're suggesting, or really do they need sort of further further training? And, and where is that? Where do they go?
1: I think it depends on um, the individual's sort of confidence level, really, and experience, um, and approach with clients, because people will often you know, patients, if if you like. Will often work it out themselves what, what they need to do, and, and certainly the work I've done with nurses they're, they're coming home from hospital with a program of exercises to do, so they're getting those early Pilates exercises. Um, that is a program that I've written and published online, so PTs can access that. Um, they can go to so it's, a, it's a with an organization called Convitech who make bags, um, and we developed a three phase rehabilitation program um, for people to follow from immediately post-surgery up until about sort of six months down the line and to get them sort of back to most activities. So that's a program called Me Plus Recovery. um, And, you know, people can access that directly online. Patients are coming home from hospital with that program, but any PT can access that program as well and they can support their patient with it. Um, and actually, it's really simple and really easy to follow. It's not rocket science. These exercises are not, you know, they're not sort of special exercises. They are just really simple, gentle core activation exercises that, you know, anyone who understands fitness and anatomy in the body should be able to support a patient with. So for me, I think that's far more important than worrying about
0: whether you go and get, you know, another yeah. qualification. Um, I will make sure that we get those websites off you and we'll add it um, to this podcast so that people can access that if they need it. Um, Thank you. But it's actually when you're talking there about the exercise selection, um, I have read your book and I've noticed that there was a lot of exercises in there which reminded me of my Tuesday morning Pilates class. Uh, In fact, that's that's what they were. So are most of the exercises that you're suggesting Pilates-based? Uh, certainly initially, yes. Um, you know, they are just this very
1: simple kind of crook lying, lying on your back, knees bent, feet flat, mm-hmm. starting to reconnect with those deep abdominal muscles, sliding a leg out, letting one knee drop to the side. It's all about trying to retrain that, that deep inner core, you know, the, 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 um, the pelvic floor, the transverse, the multifidus and the diaphragm, all working together as, as that deep synergistic core Um, before you start to load it up with other movements and more challenging exercises that we're familiar with in the fitness world. Um, And I think it's kind of putting that foundation in place. I I almost describe it like, imagine someone's knocked their house down. You know, a plank, doing a plank might be like the chimney um, and doing Pilates is like the foundations of the house. So you start with the foundations of the house and you gently start to load up. So by the time you get to the second floor, you might be doing some oblique curls and things like that. So it's, it's just loading it up gently and appropriately, but putting that foundation in place, you know, I really fundamentally believe in the sort of Pilates style exercises and reconnecting with those, those muscles and using the breath. And I think that's a really important phase.
0: Sarah, um, I'm, I'm going to have to say thank you for sharing, you know, your journey and your experience with us. It's, um, Invaluable information, I know because of your experience and because of the you know the lack of support that was out there for you, you have done a lot of work on your own, but you 've also written a book, the bowel Cancer Recovery toolkit um, which sounds like it would be a must for anybody faced with um, a client in this situation. If people did want to get hold of that, how, how do they get it? Where is it av- available? sure, so the book came out in september um, it 's
1: uh, as you said, called the Bowel Cancer Recovery Toolkit. It is aimed at people who've had any kind of colorectal cancer. Um, but actually, the advice and exercises are very appropriate for anyone with any kind of stoma, whether it's from Crohn's, colitis, pregnancy um, issues, whatever it might be from. Um, but the book is available on Amazon. Um, I think it's also in Waterstones and WH Smiths. Um, but I think Amazon well, Amazon's the best place to get it. Um, And there's a link to it on my website, uh, which is sarah-russell.co.uk. And there's a link to it on there as well.
0: Great. Well, we'll add all of those um, links uh, to this podcast so that people can uh, certainly get more information if they need it. So, Sarah, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you a little more um, and uh, having you share your story. I'm sure that it's going to inspire and help many other fit pros so thank you so much
1: i hope so thanks for having me jane i love chatting to you
0: yeah pleasure for more information about FitPro education and for details on fit pro membership and insurance you can visit us at fitpro.com we hope you enjoy the today's podcast and see you next time